0: Welcome! Thanks for joining us this morning. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you. And and if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks for spending some time with us here online. This is the second Sunday of the new year. A couple things we want to share with you. We want to report that thanks to your generosity, uh, $400 was raised for our Compassion Giving Tree. And so we'll be sending those dollars off to support the various aspects, everything from vaccinations to Uh, One person made an investment in a well and others made investment in the Bibles. Grateful that as we celebrated Christmas, we could uh, bless others. People that we'll never meet, but who will receive our generosity to live life in a more fuller way. We're beginning a new series today talking about the end times, about biblical prophecy. And if you have your Bible, or if you want to open the worship notes here, And we're going to get to the final page in the New Testament, to the very final book, the book of Revelation, and it's chapter 22. And in chapter 22, three times, Jesus uh, speaks. And he says in verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then a little bit farther down in verse 12, he says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. And in verse 20, he says, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. The word soon here in the Greek is the word taco. And it sounds like taco, but it's a very different kind of word. The only thing taco and taco have in common is that taco means quickly and Taco Bell makes tacos quickly. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. If you've ever seen lightning, you know it comes quickly. And when Jesus comes back, he's not gonna mess around. He's going to come in a flash. And we know that ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, people have been asking, how soon is King Jesus coming? Well, I don't know about you, but over these many months, I've had people ask me these kinds of questions. Like, what is God up to right now? What is he doing? And are we living in what the Bible calls the last days? And I've heard, if we are in the last days, what should I do about it? It's my hope over the next few weeks to answer those questions and probably some others that you're gonna have. And it's gonna be a great conversation here as we lean into understanding what biblical prophecy is and what the return of Christ means for us today. Now for me, for most of my life, I have to be honest, I've thought Jesus would return soon, but I've lived in a way that not thinking it would be very soon. But I'm wondering, given all sorts of things that have happened in the last many months, if, if we aren't even closer to that day, that perhaps we're within shooting distance, if you will, of the return of Jesus Christ, which makes this the most strategic time in all of human history. I also believe that over these next few months and possibly the years ahead, you and I are going to have a greater opportunity to be an influencer to the eternal destiny of more people, than any previous generation before us. I also believe that our generation faces a greater temptation to fall away from our faith than many generations before us. And I also believe that if we're in these last days, we have nothing to fear, because Paul tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. St. Paul's letter to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. So, over the next six weeks, I want to do everything I can to prepare you to walk in this season, to be able to walk with Jesus and to be able to shine for Jesus and to help others come to Jesus in the days leading up to his return. And if you're younger than that, I'm going to help you see that your most significant day was May 14th, 2018. Why are these dates important? Because significant things happen to the nation of Israel on these days. And what happens to Israel always influences the way the world goes. Now, as we begin, I want to make clear that I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm just a student of the scriptures. I've studied and I've studied again. And while some of what I will tell you today is my own opinion, because there's a lot of things that we're still unsure about, I also believe that I can share from the word of God of what it is true. In every subject you can undertake and study there's one key concept that stands out or there's a formula or maybe a key principle that you must understand if you're gonna master that subject for example to master math you have to understand addition and you can't get into calculus although I didn't take that uh, without addition. Uh, In order to master English you've got to understand what a verb is and if you're gonna master music you've got to understand what notes are and how to read them in a musical score the same is true when it comes to the study of eschatology. Now that's a fancy $50 word for the study of end times. And If you want to understand the events of the end times, you're going to have to understand where Israel plays out in all these things. Israel is the key to eschatology. We know that God has a purpose in history, and we know that ever since the fall in Genesis chapter three, God has been laser focused on building a community of people who relate to him by faith. If you're going to have a community, you've got to have people. So 4,000 years ago, God began to build a people. He started with one person. His name was Abraham. And he said, I want to bless you and through you bless the peoples and the nations of the world. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And we know that Abraham responded by faith and the plan of God began. Now, Abraham is the founder of the nation of Israel, and Israel was Abraham's grandson. And through Israel, God has blessed the world. Through Israel, God has given us a savior. Through Israel, God has given us his revelation. It's the Bible. And when you look at the nation of Israel and you study its history, you'll find some surprising and even astounding things that are truthful. And so today, what I want to do in the message is I want to show you seven events that have already happened to the nation of Israel and I hope that they will help you see just how close we might be to the return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? Here's where you wanna make sure you've got your worship notes open so you can follow along. I'm gonna call this the seven signals that Jesus is returning. Signal number one is this, that Israel has blessed the world. The 4,000-year-old prophecy of blessing has been fulfilled, and it continues to be fulfilled every single day. Every time an individual puts their trust in Jesus, It's through him the nation of Israel is blessing the world. Every time someone reads a scripture, the nation of Israel is blessing them. Okay, well you say, but Jesus died for us 2,000 years ago, and that we know that the last portion of scripture was written about 1,900 years ago. Has anything happened more recently to lead us to believe that Jesus might be coming soon? Well, yes, 72 years ago in fact. Something else happened that fulfilled an ancient prophecy. Yeah, we look at the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, and we see where God showed Ezekiel a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel says, In that moment God said, This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Well, What is this talking about? Well, it's talking about something dead coming back to life. In verse 21, it makes it even more clear. Israel was conquered and scattered in the 6th century B.C., but God brought them back together 70 years later, and it was a miracle. And that same thing happened to them a second time. It was in 70 A.D. The Israelites were living under Roman rule. They rebelled and they defeated and they exiled them, scattering them throughout the nations. God wanted everyone to know that he wasn't done with Israel, so he said to Ezekiel, write this down. And he says, I am going to take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them into their own land. So here's the second signal. It happened in 1948. Israel came back into their land. They were scattered by the Babylonians in 606 B.C. Under King Cyrus of Persia, they were reunited with their land in 536 B.C. We hit the fast-forward button some 2,500 years, and God does it again. The Israelites were scattered by the Romans. But after the Holocaust of World War II, Jews from around the world needed a place where they could be safe and free. So in 1947, the British, who at that time controlled what was then called the Transjordan region, granted the people of Israel the right to constitute their own nation. On May 14, 1948, that's exactly what happened. Not only did Ezekiel foretell this event, but Isaiah, the prophet, did too. And if Ezekiel's prediction of Israel becoming a nation seems miraculous, Isaiah's prediction seems like it's over the top. Because Isaiah asks, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Could a land be born in one day or a nation be delivered in an instant? And that's exactly what happened. It happened to Israel on one day in 1948, on May 14th, 1948. The third signal was Israel was reborn in one day. Israel went from being a people scattered with no homeland to a self-sustaining, self-sufficient nation recognized by the General Assembly of the United Nations. God said it would happen, and it did. Once Israel was back in her land, the rest of the world literally went nuts because there's all sorts of spiritual undertones of what is always happening with God's plan for Israel. There's always an underlying level of what seems like irrationality when it comes to his people. God predicted that too in the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. Chapter 12, God said once Israel was back in their land, the nations around them would reel around as if they were drunk, he says. In fact, here look at verse 2. Look, I will make Jerusalem a cup that causes staggering for the people who surround the city. Now here's what's interesting. Do you know what kind of people surrounded the city of Jerusalem at that time? They were Muslim people. In 1948, when Israel was granted statehood, every one of her Muslim neighbors went nuts. And we know since that day, signal four, that the surrounding nations have been staggering. The nations that surround Israel have vowed to drive her into the sea. From 2006 to 2016, the United Nations Human Rights Council criticized Israel 68 times. That's actually three times more than any other nation. Enemies go berserk over Israel. They send suicide bombers. They rain mortar fire. They dig stealth tunnels. They bring resolution after resolution on the floor of the United Nations. The interesting thing is that God predicted this. He predicted through the prophet Zechariah. And in case you're wondering, Zechariah lived around 500 BC, which is a time when Israel wasn't a threat to anybody. They weren't driving anyone crazy. And once the Romans scattered them, there was no Israel to drive anyone crazy. This prophecy, this prediction from God in Zechariah chapter 12 can only be fulfilled after Israel was reconstituted as a nation. On May 14th, 1948, it was a significant day in history. It was a day God foresaw and planned for. It was on that day that God set a signal to say things were coming towards the end. Another significant day came 19 years later. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, the Bible predicts that before the Messiah returns, Israel will own its own temple mount. Here in verses 1 and 2, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there, but exclude the courtyard outside the temple. Don't measure it because it's given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Uh, The book of Daniel tells us that the final seven years of history of our planet will be a time of what's called tribulation. And the final three and a half of those seven years will be what is called the Great Tribulation. And it's during that time that all sorts of judgments will come on the peoples of the earth. An interesting part of this time is, according to Revelation, that Israel will possess a temple, but Israel won't possess the property around the temple. That property will belong to the nations. So let's recap here real quick. So Israel is back in their land and Israel controls the land where the temple will reside, now follow this, something astounding happens in 1967. In May of that year, Egypt's president, Gamal Nasser, ordered the United Nations Security Forces that were serving as a buffer between Egypt and Israel to withdraw from the Sinai Peninsula. He then cut off Israel's access to the Straits of Titan, severing Israel from its shipping routes, And those were vital to Israel's interests in endangering their national security. And as Nasser did that, he began lining his elite troops along Israel's southern border. And at the same time, Jordan and Iraq mobilized forces on Israel's eastern border. And at the same time, Syria mustered her troops on Israel's northern border. Now, Israel has no western border because that's where the Mediterranean Sea comes in. Sensing an imminent attack, Israel forced a preemptive strike. And from June 5th to June 10th, 1967, Israel pushed back their Arab enemies on all three sides. They won on every front. Something that was unexpected as a result of this was that Jordan's forces were so overwhelmed they feared the annihilation of their entire armed forces. So instead of just withdrawing into their section of East Jerusalem, they moved their troops all the way back to the Jordan River basically conceding East Jerusalem to the Jews without a fight. Without meaning to, June 7th, 1967, Israel found itself in possession of the Temple Mount. Without any fanfare or acknowledgement from the world, June 7th, 1967 may be the most important day of our lifetime so far, because since that day, and this is the fifth signal, Israel owns the Temple Mount. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, Jesus lays out the significance of this speaking about what will come for the Jewish people for the next 1900 years. He says, they, Israel, will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Did you hear that? From the time of the Roman occupation until June 17, 1967, Gentiles ruled Jerusalem. But on that day, East Jerusalem was united to the West. Jerusalem, under the sovereignty of the Jewish nation, and the time of the Gentiles was basically fulfilled. So here's the announcement, ladies and gentlemen. According to Jesus, we are no longer living in the times of the Gentiles because, you see, Jerusalem is no longer being trampled by Gentiles. The next step is for the temple to be rebuilt, and we know there is great opposition to that, that it would ever happen. But there are two groups in Israel that are diligently working on it. Okay, so now let's check off signal number six. Today, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. Because here's another interesting event. For 50 years, there were claims that Jerusalem wasn't really ruled by Israel because the capital of Israel was Tel Aviv. No one was willing to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's legitimate capital. But on May 14, 2018, then-President Donald Trump did what the previous four presidents promised to do but never followed through on. He moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to downtown Jerusalem. Here's a picture. Now, after Trump's lead, several other nations followed suit. So that today, Jerusalem is recognized as the capital of Israel. Now, you may ask, why is this important? Because the city of Jerusalem is no longer ruled by or trampled by Gentiles. It's ruled by our own people for the first time since 70 A.D. Now, just as we're leaning into the series on biblical prophecy, if this is your first time to sort of be exposed to it, all of this might sound kind of crazy to you, but it's all true. I've spent my lifetime studying and verifying the veracity of scripture, and this is true. Now, let me give you one more and the final signal before we talk about what this all means for us. Going to the book of Numbers, chapter 19, the only way to cleanse and sanctify the temple is by the ashes of a red heifer, a red cow. According to Jewish tradition there have only been nine red heifers sacrificed since Moses and the tenth will herald the messianic age. Two years ago on August 28, 2018 a red heifer was born in Israel for the first time in 2000 years. So the seventh signal is a red heifer has been born. Here is the scripture that talks about this, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, this is the legal statute that the Lord has commanded. Instruct the Israelites to bring you an unblemished red cow that has no defect and has never been yoked. The priest, Eleazar, is to take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of the meeting. Maybe Jesus' return is near and there's lots that we have to learn and understand from the Bible to really know what's going on in this subject. Next week, we'll take a look at seven signs that have or will happen soon that will foretell his soon coming. And then we will cover the four most prevalent views of the rapture and what that might be like. I believe that this message series will be like none that we've ever done before. So I hope you'll commit to being here online or in person. And I hope you'll do your best to invite others to be part of this as we unpack it. Now, just a little encouragement as we wrap up. I'm aware that the idea that Jesus might be near could seem scary to some, but one of the main reasons God foretold his coming is not so that we would be scared, but that we would be encouraged. Listen to this. Paul says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to take a deeper look at this passage in a few weeks, but for now, I just want you to look at the final sentence, which says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, God didn't tell us about the end of the age to scare us or even to discourage us, but actually to encourage us. If we're going to live in it, or through it, God wants us to be encouraged. So if the end is near, or if the end is here, how do we prepare for it? Well, I'm gonna give you four ways here. First, don't be deceived. Jesus warned us that during the end times that there would be many false prophets that will rise up and deceive people, Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. We're already seeing that day. We've seen it maybe for the last couple decades. You know, friends, the truth of God never changes. We saw that last week in the message about how the gospel hasn't changed. Our world has changed, but it's still true that God took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood to rescue us. And so we can stand on this truth that whatever God says in the Bible, it is always true. If you hear someone claiming something counter to Scripture, don't be deceived. One reason we're doing this series is so you won't be deceived. I want you to have some understanding, and I hope you'll be here for every message as we uh, continue through it. The second way to prepare is remain faithful. Keep following Jesus. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Resist thinking that this is a time to withdraw from following God or serving God or even assembling together for worship. Don't let him become a second priority. Jesus promised in Revelation chapter three, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. So remain faithful. You see, Jesus' promise in the Matthew 24 passage that we looked at is what? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endure, remain faithful. So your third way to prepare is to pray for revival. Two things happen during a revival. One is that Christians turn to God in deep sincerity and flush out any sin that has been hindering their relationship with him. The other is that people who don't know God come to Jesus in large numbers. Many times in history, When a civilization was at a moral low, like we are today, God's people prayed and God sent revival. I believe these are our two choices today. Either we revive or he returns. Either we come back to God or God comes back to us. Revival never comes by surprise. Revival always comes in response to concentrated prayer, prayer by God's people. So I ask you again this week, if you would join me every day in praying for revival, and praying that it starts with each of us. And then finally, your fourth way to prepare is draw people to Jesus. The reason God will let all kinds of terrible judgments loose in the final years is to cause people to see their need and return to God. If we're here during that time in history, it means we have an incredible chance to be more fruitful than any other generation. I hope you'll be thinking and praying now about who and how you can invite someone to church online or in person during this series. As we wrap up today, would you pray with me this prayer? Come Lord Jesus, use me until you come, guide me in your truth and protect me from deception and find me faithful when you come. In Jesus name, amen.